0: He said that Jesus Christ has risen, and he is the open door.
1: How you doing, everyone? Welcome to this episode of the Cajun Conservative Show, where we talk about life, we talk about liberty, and yes, we talk about the pursuit of happiness, and we show the world, that as Cajuns do have intelligence. Hope you're having a good day, good week wherever you're located because you got to remember this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Even in a bad day, uh a, 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 a gloomy day and it is still the day that the Lord has made, you should rejoice. Cuz you think about it, you you could be in a worse situation. Uh you you could not be alive. but You know, you you could be homeless. You you know, You could be walking to work if you're listening on your way to work. So you should be happy, thankful, and glad. Like, you know, like I am. I'm happy. I have bad days. Don't get me wrong. I had uh, two weeks come to mind where it was just a bad, bad day. But guess what? I got through it. Not because I'm good. It's because with the Lord's help, I can get through anything. So just a reminder on that. Uh, a couple of announcements before we move on. Uh, in the second segment, we're going to have Representative Danny McCarmick. He's going to be coming uh, on the show, and he will be talking about his legislation. He has two bills. He has HB 130, Protect the Second Amendment Act in the uh, Louisiana uh, legislation, and then HB 131, Constitutional Carry. He's going to be coming talking about about that, where, uh, where we possibly won't need no concealed weapon ca- uh, permits uh coming on then on the third segment we're gonna have joe Galencier. i hope i said his name right uh but mr joe's gonna come on talking about his book and also talking about the economy ladies and gentlemen we have we have a lot of issues right now with the banks and all this stuff um but joe's gonna come on and we're gonna go ahead and talk about talk about that in the third segment and the impact of what's going on in the economy So that's going to uh, be happening in the third segment. Can't wait to have those two on. Uh, Please go ahead and listen and uh, enjoy yourself with that. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, Donald Trump has not yet been arrested. Um, The grand jury today. Well, I say today. It is today's Wednesday. So when you listen, it's going to be Thursday. Uh, The grand jury was supposed to have this surprise witness come out. And ever since Donald Trump said, hey, on Tuesday, I am possibly going to be arrested. It hasn't happened, and, and there's always something. Oh, we have this ne- we have this witness coming up uh, today. We have a strange turn of events that all of a sudden they found this witness that mess up mess up the uh, the case or whatever. So so they canceled the grand jury and told them, hey y'all y'all don't come in today. Y'all have to be on standby tomorrow. So Donald Trump has not been arrested yet, but with the buzz last weekend and on this episode where we talked about uh, this, the possibility of a president being arrested is 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 just mind boggling. Uh, then we also talked about how this all this is politically motivated, and majority of the nation thinks that majority of the nation. It's not. It's not a hidden fact. The Democrats are coming out and they're saying, well, hold on. We want justice. They got their talking points for Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen. It was no one's above the law. And um, and because he asked for protests. Oh, this is this is inciting violence, which we know under the First Amendment of our Constitution. We have the right to protest. Uh, You should protest peacefully. Don't start a mess. Don't start anything that that, that's going to hurt. Hurt you, but you know, hey, protest. you know, stand with a picket line, stand in a picket line with a sign saying, "Hey, free Trump" or whatever you want to, whatever you want to put it at. Just do it. But the media, the media, the media, was was pushing, hey, no protesting, please. Oh, this is Donald Trump, as Maxine Waters says, is, is, is calling out his domestic terrorists. But they're talking points where hey, no one's above the law. And please don't start a riot. Don't go protest. And ladies and gentlemen, the the nation is starting, is is thinking like, like I'm doing right now. They're saying, oh, man, this right here, this is a political motivated attack by the DA in New York City. Andy Briggs is the handwriting's on the wall so right now donald trump and look donald trump saying this you know a lot of people don't understand why donald trump puts stuff on true social um it got him talking about this it brought out a lot of things into the light and 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 it 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 gives trump some good publicity and you know everyone that's saying is this does not look good that a former president might get arrested donald trump has the people on his side I don't believe in too many polls, but there was a recent poll that came out since this all, this all came out that Donald Trump is gaining popularity right now. So this is a good, this is a good image. You know, Donald Trump's, Hey, look, the establishment is after me. He's using this to his advantage. With that being said though, people, the media being the media are axing his opponents to go ahead and get their opinion on this, which they, they can and majority of the people would say, well, this isn't right, this is wrong. With that being said, they ask Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis, this is coming from the Daily Wire. DeSantis re- responds to rumors, a rumor Trump uh, indictment by Soros uh, founded prosecutor. Um, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis responded on Monday to reports that former Donald Trump could be indicted this week, calling the situation a manufactured circus by the prosecutor trying to uh, uh, virtue signals for his base. Now, people might be saying, well, Isaac, why are you bringing up Ron DeSantis? Because Ron DeSantis said something that ticked off Trump, I guess you could say, which I didn't think it was it was uh it wasn't that bad but let let me go ahead and find find his quote because i want to read it because i don't want people to say well you you you're saying something that um uh that 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 defends the santa's or hurts the santa's uh he said and and so i don't know what's going to happen but i do know this the manhattan district attorney is a sorrows funded prosecutor and so he's like an, another Soros uh, funded prosecutor that weaponized their office to impose the political agenda on social uh, on society at the expense of the rule of law public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies or misdemeanors. He said he doesn't want to even jail, he don't even have jail time for vice, vi, uh, vice majority of crime and what we've seen in Manhattan, we've seen in crime um, rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And uh, DeSantis said Briggs was weaponizing the justice uh, system by choosing to pursue the cases from several years ago while ignoring crimes happening every single day in his, his, in, his just, uh, in his jurisdiction. Also, Ron DeSantis went ahead and said, I also think that the fundamentally wrong, DeSantis said, I also think that it's an important point to point out when you're talking about Soros funded prosecutors, yes, they may do a high profile political case uh, a political uh, persecution and that's bad I'm trying to find out where he says uh, about Trump yeah so this is the remark that really ticked off Donald Trump now on, on this point Ron DeSantis has been defending Donald Trump up to this point and he says I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a adult star I'm gonna I'm not gonna well porn star to secure silence over some type of alleged affair he said now, this has been getting Trumpsters upset because Ron DeSantis said, hey, I don't know what goes into doing this. This made Donald Trump upset, which started giving Donald Trump, moving his focus from something that is helping him right now. Look, I, I, look, I'm going to say it again. Everything that's happening to Donald Trump right now is helping him in his base. He's showing that the establishment's real. They're coming after me, and they're gonna pull up old claims or faulty claims. Because you gotta remember this too, ladies and gentlemen. This case was denied by the federal courts. This case right here was denied by Merrick Garland. Now you know if somebody wants to take down Donald Trump, it's Merrick Garland in the attorney general's office. They turned this down because it's faulty. There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of questions more than answers. And ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump should have focused on this. And look, like I said, Ron DeSantis, I don't think he was wrong. He just made a statement. I don't know what goes into doing that. Now, Donald Trump has denied spending time with Stormy Daniels. I'm trying to be PG cause I got a young audience. Um, He denied that, but its we don't know what really happened. There's no proof that he did or didn't. It's hers word against his. All you have is really the hush money. And it, it, there's there's legal aspects to that as well, but the, the Trump people are upset because I don't. Ninety percent of the, the Ron DeSantis speech was defending Trump, but Donald Trump's going to focus on the ten percent of his speech where he said the statement he don't know what goes into paying hush money. Now Donald Trump has gone on the offense with Ron DeSantis, and I, I really think I, I know Donald Trump don't know me nine out of ten Donald Trump don't listen to this podcast but I, 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 this aggravates me now we also had Ron DeSantis go and this is going to be another point where I'm going to bring out we had Ron DeSantis go on Pierre uh Morgan's uh show on Fox I believe it is and they asked him hey what name you like more uh um uh, Meatball Ryan or uh Ron DeStantimonious and Ron DeSantis said, "Look, you can call me whatever you want. I get results done." And, and I heard an opinion today, and it made sense. That's a question you really don't. That's that's that's, 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 a, that's a question you really don't want to answer because it's going to put fuel to the fire. And this is what this segment is really all about, right here. I, I did all. I, I told you all that content to show you that there is a feud right now between Ron DeSantis and. Donald Trump. There is a feud with Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump that should not be. You have two alpha males, if you want, let's, you know, into the animal kingdom side of it. You have two alpha males that are, um, that are trying to gain the, the territory and they're butting heads, but it should, they shouldn't be butting heads right now. We're very early into this primary season, if we're in it at all, but you have Ron, De- you have Donald Trump nicknaming Ron DeSantis already, which he, I-, I never got Trump on this. Trump says, I'm way ahead, way ahead in the polls. Well, if you're way ahead in the polls, why are you attacking Ron DeSantis? And then you have Don- Ron DeSantis, which I- is doing right until this point where he's not saying nothing. And he makes, uh, don't get me wrong, it was a slight joke. They were just talking, and like the the, the interview's forty-five minutes long. We do this here. Anybody that's been on an interview with me, know we go ahead and we 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 joke around, or, or we we go off into wild goose chase uh, topics. I understand that, but ladies and gentlemen, this this right here, this this feud should not be happening, and it's bleeding over. This is why, because uh, a lot of my audience might listen to Dan Bogino. I did not pick this up from Dan Bogino. I thought about this before I heard Dan Bogino's quotes. Cause Dan Bongino has come on and done a couple of segments on this as well. But I, I picked this up because another fellow podcaster and I, I, I was debating to mention his name. I'm not going to mention his name. He's going on Twitter and he's a real Trump supporter, but he's criticizing Ron DeSantis' signs on his podium and calling him Ron DeSantimonious. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what's happening with this. Trump criticizing Ron DeSantis and calling him nicknames is not, it's not dividing the nation It's dividing the Republican party. And look, I am a Ron DeSantis guy and that don't upset me. It just, what gets me upset is I, everything that I'm afraid that would happen is happening right now. You have Donald Trump criticizing Ron DeSantis, trying to bring him down because that is his only viable threat and look, props to Ron DeSantis He's saying, I'm going to let my I'm going to let my policies do my talking and he he makes the joke about the he with Pierre Morgan where he 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 said look they can call me whatever they want I'm getting I'm doing my work it is, is is a smart quote but at the same time it's uh, you you bashing Trump for calling your names ladies and gentlemen this right th- th- this is what is happening we are being divided over something so small that should not. We should not be divi- being divided over. Look, look. I-, I agree. Look in the primary season, small jabs that don't hurt. But Donald Trump, look, he almost ruined Ted Cruz because of his lying. Ted, don't you remember? This needs to stop. This name calling that Trump's doing to Ron DeSantis, this feud that's going on with Ron DeSantis and Trump, it needs to stop. And look, I'm not saying that because I support Ron DeSantis. We don't even know the dude's running yet. But Donald Trump is acting like he is a, he's a candidate, which I believe he will be. He's going to announce sometime. It's very early in this campaign, by the way. But ladies and gentlemen, this needs to stop because this is dividing our nation. But uh, correction, not even just dividing our nation. It is dividing the Republican Party. And look, is primaries good? Absolutely. I wish we had a primary system here in Louisiana. We have a jumbo primary where everybody run, then we have a runoff in November. I wish we had a primary system. But ladies and gentlemen, this isn't hurting. Look, th- this, this election is too important to go ahead and say, we're gonna let small things get in the way. We We need to focus on policy. We need to keep our eye on the mark and that is that is that is winning the White House, winning the Congress, and winning the Senate back to make policies that advance this nation. Now people ask me all the time, why, Why? you know, I, I tell people this, I wish Donald Trump would not run. Why? Because of this right here. I like Donald Trump. I like Donald Trump's policies. But because of things like this that he's doing with Ron DeSantis, calling him Ron DeSantis, it's wrong. It's not helping the nation. This is hurting the nation. Does Donald Trump have good ideas? Absolutely. But this is hurting our, our this is hurting the Republican party. And this is, this is gonna show people right here, we're not united, we're divided. And it needs to stop. With that being said, we'll be right back after this short break with Danny McCormick, uh, for, uh, district one representative in Louisiana. Y'all stay tuned for that. We'll be right back after this short break. How you doing everyone? Isaac here. I'm the Cajun Conservative and I want to thank Brother Lanny Hayes from Hayes' Dump Truck Service for their generous support of the Cajun Conservative and Brothers Just Searching. Hayes' Dump Truck Service serves the Lafayette and surrounding areas. If you have any job that you need done like cleanup or hauling material to your job site or your home, we haul limestone, we haul sand, we haul topsoil, any type of material you need. If you're in Lafayette and surrounding areas, please call Brother Lanny Hayes at 337 852 8043. Remember, Hayes is Dump Truck Service, where Jesus is Lord of the company.
0: Cleansed and made us whole. Not one love, not one soul.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to the second segment of the Cajun Conservative Show. With me today on the phone, we have Representative Danny McCarthy. He is uh, the Louisiana State Representative in the 1st District. Uh, he's going to be talking about his uh, his bills that he got coming up in our upcoming state legislation. Uh, Representative McCormick, uh, how you doing? And welcome to the Cajun Conservative Show.
2: Hey, Isaac. It's great to be be on your show. Thank you for asking me.
1: Oh no! No problem. No problem. And I, when I first heard, I, I think you were on Moon Grafon's show, uh, The Voice of Louisiana, and I heard your interview where you was talking about some legislation bills that was coming up, and I I wanted to reach out to you. And we got to give credit to uh, Mister Allen Seaball, Representative Allen, uh, contacted uh connected us together, and uh, I, I really wanted you on to talk about the Second Amendment and what are you doing for the um. Uh, in our legislation to protect our God-given right in the second amendment in our constitution.
2: You bet. I agree. That sounds great.
1: Yes, sir. So, so with that being said, um, uh, representative McCarthy, you have, you have two bills coming up in there. You have one is to protect the second amendment act, which is Iles bill 130. And then you have the, uh, HB 131, which is the constitutional carry, bill that you have been i believe this is the third time you have put this in place third or fourth time uh unfortunately we they try we we it didn't survive over veto unfortunately but uh you're bringing that back in uh tell us a little bit about your bills and uh why, why are you bringing these two bills back into our legislation
2: well in the house district one is is uh it's a very rural district i'm a rural guy second Amendment's very important to us and uh we're really disturbed by the—we'll uh, uh, talk about House Bill 131st to protect the Second Amendment Act. I think probably most of your listeners are familiar with the ATF pistol brace ban. And that basically what this bill does, it makes it a crime for anybody to—state uh, or federal officials—to enforce that pistol brace ban in Louisiana. You know, I, I think we were talking earlier, Isaac, you know— we hear our congressmen uh, a lot uh, interviewing, or our, they bring witnesses before themselves in Congress, and they and they talk real, real tough to them, but nothing really happens. And this this uh, this bill has teeth in it; it will actually uh, make it a criminal act for them to try to force enforce that uh, unconstitutional law in Louisiana. And until we start putting these uh, federal officials in jail, we're not going we're not going to get their intention to that happen.
1: And, and that bill, you, you saying that it was um, it wasn't passed through Congress. I remember I reported on that when the ATF put these new regulations in and it was it was blessed by the president of the United States. Now, the president of the United States can have his opinion representative, but he cannot make laws on his own. And you think he kind of try to go around the Constitution to do this? Like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I reported, he did the same thing where he signed an executive order and he said, well, this is the, this is the furthest I could do without breaking the law. Well, you don't, you can't make laws like that. You have to go through Congress, which is the house and the Senate.
2: And that's correct. That's what's wrong with this pistol brand uh, ban. If it went through Congress and been voted on, that would have been a constitutional law, but just federal bureaucrats making uh Felons out of millions of Americans by the by, by the by the motion of their pen—that's uncalled for. And and, and as a state's rights advocate, it is our responsibility as legislators to protect the citizens from this federal overreach. And that's what this bill is designed to do. And uh, it has teeth in it. It it makes it a criminal offense.
1: So, with that being said, we we do have a Democratic governor here in the great state of Louisiana, unfortunately. Um, do you see governor bell Edwards, put, you know, you have a super majority in the house and in the Senate. Um, you, but that the, the governor is still a flip. Do you think he's going to sign this bill to restrict the Biden administration, uh, from doing this here in the state of Louisiana?
2: Actually, actually, I don't expect him to sign it. I would be proud if it made it to his death. So, you know, even though the, the, uh, the Senate in the House have a supermajority now both. You may not believe this, Isaac, but they don't actually vote like that sometimes. <laughs> so this is going to be a good challenge for them to see see where they stand on the Second Amendment as far as the Republicans we have elected.
1: Yeah, because and look, I've said this a couple of times, uh, Representative Danny. I rep- I said this, Louisiana nationally, you know, the Trump election and uh The elections, uh, as long as I can remember, we have voted red nationally for president and we're considered a red state. But unfortunately, our legislators, majority of them, they're only the only Republican in name only. I call those rhinos because they don't vote like Republicans. They you know, and we've seen that in the last sessions where some of our own or some of our own party teamed up with the Democrat Party to get their way. And we're supposed to have a super majority where bills like this could pass and all, also go over a veto with the, pre, uh, with the governor, but they teamed up with the Democrat side. Now they owe them and now we're not getting nothing done. We've been in a lame duck session, lame duck, uh, uh, legislation for almost four years now.
2: Yeah. And, and, that's right, Isaac. And I'll I'll probably kind of surprise you with this too. There, there are Democrats in Baton Rouge that have a, better voting record on the second amendment than several Republicans. Uh, you know, this is, this is probably surprising to most people, but yes, we have, we have Democrats in the house that are more, uh, pro second amendment than we do some of the Republicans.
1: And that, that is sad. That is sad. Uh, representative McCormick It's sad that, that, that we have Democrats here in the state of Louisiana that are more hardcore for the second amendment than we have some Republicans.
2: That that's correct. It it is, and uh, but you know that it, it you know you have to you have to get good candidates to run for office, and you have to weed them out. You know, I think as we have an election year coming up, and uh, you know now the time to bet your candidates not by what they say, but how they vote. You know, they they all all of those elected politicians know what to say, but their voting records are what they need to stand out.
1: And unfortunately, they don't. They don't like that. You know, Moon. Uh, at the time of this recording, is Tuesday. We we uh, I heard Moon talk about this morning that one representative told him, "Hey, my family don't like you because you came against me." And Moon, all Moon said, "I just talked about your voting record. I didn't talk about you personally. I just talked about the voting record." And people were upset at him because, yeah, he talked one. I can't remember who the representative was, but he talked one way but he voted another way. And that is not good here in the state of Louisiana.
2: And and that's exactly right. You know, you would be surprised how, uh, that, uh, I've had several representatives get mad at me because I made them vote on a controversial issue. You know, you would think that's odd. We get elected to vote. And a lot of the times they get mad because they have to vote. And, you know, that was actually something that was surprising to me. You know, I, I tell them all the time, I say, shoot, man, if you don't smoke, uh, support the second amendment, just, just vote, vote the way you believe and let your people know about it. But they don't like voting sometimes.
1: It, it goes against their personality or their belief system, and, and that's not right. Uh, Representative, I agree. Representative McCormick, let's talk about, um, you know, the H, uh, HB 130. Unfortunately, if it makes it to the governor's desk, he's probably going to veto it. Do you see this going into a veto session here for the state of Louisiana, and it being override in that, or we don't? You don't think we'll have enough votes for that bill well, to that, pass? That,
2: well, there again, you know that's easily documented t- uh, too, Isaac. You know, in Louisiana, we automatically go into a veto override session unless somebody sends in their ballot saying they don't want to go. So people had to publicly say they don't want to go. So with a supermajority in the House and the Senate. It's uh, it's it, it's going to be hard to believe if they if they vote not to go into a veto override session,
1: and, and they should. But but like I said, unfortunately, Representative McCormick is is that we have certain we have certain people in our state that are Republicans that don't that that don't want to get their hands dirty. They like being clean, or they like being on that borderline. And and like you said, it, and especially in a, a, a election season, they should be very careful if they say no or yes, but. I think we're gonna have some that's gonna say a lot of them gonna say no, and we know that here in the state of Louisiana, you have to have a majority yes before you even go into a veto session. Like you said, it automatically happens, but it stops it if you have more no's than yes.
2: Yeah, that that's correct. So, so but but there again, that's something that the citizens can actually easily track and identify and know how their representatives and senators are are voting, and you know that's very important. I mean, you know that's something that. That's a whole show in your, in, you know, for you in itself and uh, exposing the people and how they vote on HB 130 and 131. That'll be, inter- be an interesting uh, uh, you know, piece of information, and that, that's what's great about this show. You could do that research. You can give it to the public, and the public can – they don't have to do the work. They just listen to your show to found, uh, get educated.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And look, I'm going to be keeping a track of this because, like I said, when I first heard that you was introducing the HB 131 back, I I want that's why I wanted to get you on. I wanted to get this information out to the listeners because we we heard all over the the country, but especially in the state of Louisiana, half our audience is in the state of Louisiana. And we need to know what our representatives are doing, especially right before this election cycle that's coming up. We need to know what's happening in Baton Rouge.
2: And that's what's so great about podcasts like yours. You can do that. I mean, like, you know, as, as, you know, somebody can listen to it going down the road. You know, they don't have to actually do the research. So, you know, information is starting to, uh, these podcasts like these are popping up and the information has come more widely available to the citizens. And I'm excited about uh, doing these type of interviews like I'm doing with you right now.
1: And we're happy to have you on. We're happy to give out that information, and and that's why we tell people, hey, subscribe to the Cajun Conservative and listen to us, and we can give you that information as it comes out.
2: Exactly. That's right. That's exactly right.
1: So, so uh, uh-huh. Representative McCormick, let's go ahead and talk about HB 30, uh, 131. Um This this uh, is this the third time or the fourth time you bring this up, or how many times? I know you had some type of bill like this. Previously in past legislation sessions,
2: that that's correct. This is the the, the fourth time I've I've uh, filed this bill, and uh, I'm I've, I, when I was knocking on the doors in my district, Isaac. The number one asked question I had was, "Will you uh, bring a constitutional carry bill?" And my promise to my constituents was, I would bring it every year until until it passed. And this is my fourth year to be in office. This is my fourth year to uh, to uh, to bring this bill. And you know, it, this is it's it's crazy that this bill hadn't already passed, Isaac. Because I I think it's I, I forget exactly twenty five or twenty six other states already have constitutional carry. For one thing, and then the other thing is that uh, um, in Louisiana you can legally open carry. So let's just say that i I have a, a pistol on my side, and I'm walking around, and it gets really cold. So I put a coat on, and that coat covers up that pistol. When I'm a felon, so explain that one to me. You know, my my uh, my granddaughters when they turn eighteen, they can strap a twelve gauge shotgun on their back and walk in legally walk into Walmart here in here in my town ta- hometown. But they can't put a snub nose thirty eight in their purse to protect themselves from rapers, rapists, and murderers. And as you very well know, here in Louisiana, with with our crime problem. Our our everybody and especially our young women need to be able to have that ability to protect themselves from these predators.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's what you know. With, with that being on side, we're also the sportsman's paradise. You get what I'm saying? You bet. And, and and look, firearms are in our in our blood. It's in our it's in our DNA. It's something that Louisiana. Look, I've been hunting since I'm 16 years old. You get what I'm saying? And, and I. We, I hear I, people talk about guns all the time, but like you said, just to put a coat over your pistol, that becomes a felony, and, and that's like you said, you can you know, open carry, but you cannot conceal carry, and that that that's kind of sad that we don't we we don't have that, and I, ho- I hope that it passes this year.
2: You bet, and and you know it's also important too that your listeners realize mine is a true constitutional carry bill. It mimics open carry to the letter of the law. And what that means is this. If you can legally uh, open carry, you can legally conceal carry. You know, I have several—every year I bring this bill, and and the the constitutional carry bill I file is at 18. And actually, in committee last year, we had a a Democrat file an amendment to change the age to 21, and the Republicans are one that voted to change the age to 21. You know— you know, we need to decide when, when, uh, when the, uh, our age of accountability is. If you can go to overseas and die in a war at 18, you, it seems like you ought to be able to uh, legally conceal carry in Louisiana, but you can't. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you this story, Isaac. My six-year-old granddaughter killed her first deer this year. When she becomes 18, she's going to be quite, quite accomplished with a firearm. But in Louisiana, she will not be able to put a pistol in her purse Protect yourself from murders and rapists. I think that's a, a travesty, especially since it's uh, it's protected in the Constitution, and and also we'll, we'll go to that. You know, truly, the Second Amendment is is there to protect us from tyranny, yeah. from from uh, uh, from out of control government, from the Maws and the Stalin's of the world. That that's who it's, That's the reason our founders put it in there.
1: Yeah, and you, you, you mentioned in that representative is it's kind of funny because I, I did a, a show in maybe about almost two years now. And I said that, that that's one of the arguments that I, I hate the most when I hear a leftist say, well, why do you need a big clip in a gun to shoot a deer? And I'm like, you don't understand the, the Second Amendment of the Constitution at all. Because that that was not that that amendment was not meant for hunting. You didn't. And I use the example. You didn't see our founding fathers just finish a war with England and say, oh, we need to put this amendment in the Constitution so we can go hunting. They went. They just went through a whole war to earn their freedoms. That's why they put it in there. Yes,
2: sir. That's exactly right. You know, and what's so uh, uh, odd about the Biden administration is that he, they're using tax dollars to send fully automatic weapons to Ukraine, yep. to the Ukraine citizens, okay? They're, they're using our tax dollars to do that, while in the same uh, same uh, time they're using our tax dollars to take away our Second Amendment rights. So we're sending fully, fully automatic weapons to Ukraine, to those citizens. They're not worried about if they're trained or anything else, or if they have a ground check. They're not worried. They're sending it all over there. Well, at the same time, they're taking our weapons away from
1: us. And it's sad. It's and look, you you bringing that up. I uh, I found the article researching a few minutes ago where on Fox News it says the Justice Department asked the Supreme Court to overturn domestic violent gun ruling because the Fifth Circuit Appeal said, look. The domestic violence restraining orders from uh, from gun owners are unconstitutional. Now, you can have a debate on that. But at the same time, you know, the Constitution does not label who can have a firearm, and who can't have a firearm. Now, we, we know that our state, our state and other states have laws that said, look, if you are a, 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 a felon, you can't have one. And I, I agree with those laws. But as for restraining law-abiding citizens their rights, that's not right either and that's why I commend you representative McCarmo that that you're putting this bill up and I look I hope this year it gets through I I don't I doubt that the governor will sign it he probably would veto it but let's hope that our rep- other representatives would go ahead and back you up in a veto session and say no we're going to put that bill into law and don't we won't care what the governor says.
2: And, that, and that's right, Isaac. And you know, we, as your listeners, need to know. It, this needs to be a uh, talking point. This needs to be a uh, with the next governor. He needs to be asked that question. The candidate, will you support constitutional caring? That's you know that it's important to get him on the record. I mean, uh, I'm sure there'll be several uh, gubernatorial candidates to be coming around speaking in the communities where your listeners are. Raise your hand up and ask him, sir. Will you support? We use uh, support constitutional carry. Would that be one of the issues you'll support if if you're elected governor? It now's the time to put them on the record.
1: Yes, sir. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up to me because I'm I'm planning on having a few of them on here, and we're gonna go ahead and uh, ask that question when they show up to the studio and uh, get ready to uh, ask. That'll be one of the questions we're gonna try to bring out because this I believe this that the Second Amendment is under attack. I, I mean, well, oh, and, and- Go ahead. And and
2: ask them, ask them, will you support true constitutional carry? And that means 18 years of age. You know, it's really important to me, you know, and and some of your listeners may know to get a concealed carry permit, you have to be 21. So 18, 19 and 20 year old girls, when they leave the house, they're most vulnerable. They'll ever be in their life. No matter how proficient they are with a weapon, Louisiana makes it against the law. Now, they, they cannot put one in their purse. Now, can you imagine my, my granddaughter when she gets eighteen? She puts on a nice dress and she, and she's going out, and but she can strap a pistol on her side. That's okay, but she can't put a pistol in her purse. That's 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 just uh that's that that's a, a thinking process that I don't understand, Isaac.
1: Yeah, hey, no, I, I agree with you, uh, Representative. I, I agree with you, and I like I said, I, let's just hope that we have other representatives that are like minded like you this session. And look, I know, I know you got um. Uh, you got some good conservatives out there, like Blake, and you got uh, Mr. Allen. You got a lot of good representatives that are that are in this session, and let's hope they 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 pass this bill. And then then we got a super majority now in the House with one Democrat flipping over. So let's we got hope. We got hope that it's going to come through.
2: I agree. That's right. And we got to keep fighting. We got to keep pushing. And you gotta everybody's listening to your podcast cast needs to ask their their uh their uh state rep and their state senator how that would they support constitutional carry and would they support true constitutional carry that means at 18.
1: yes sir and look audience if you're listening please call if you're from louisiana call your state rep and let's get this through uh represent mccormick you know we, we're running uh we're about to run short on some time but i, I want to go ahead and get you to talk about your campaign because you're just not getting ready for legislative session you're getting ready for an election. You are running, uh, again, in district one. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have any opponents in that race. Um, how, how's the campaign going? And, and, and what, you know, talk to your voters, what, uh, go ahead and tell them why you continue on serving in the house of representatives of Louisiana.
2: You, you bet. That, that sounds great. Isaac, you know, I, I love the people in my district. They're, they're just down to earth, solid people. You know, when I ran for office, uh, this is what I said to them. These are my principles, and these are what I stand for, and and you can feel assured this is how I vote, and that's how I voted. And and also, Isaac, I stay in t- contact with my uh, – I don't just uh, show up uh, and want to talk to my constituents on election, uh, election year. I talk to them every year, uh, uh, all through the session. I, I put out videos. They can follow me on Facebook. I have an email uh, up, up, update they can get. You can go. Play dot com. You can sign up to uh, get my emails. We send out at least e- one email a week. Uh we've been giving away uh firearms this year. We were uh, just recently gave away our second fi- uh, firearm and a firearm giveaway. We're gonna be doing uh if you can if you'll sign up for that, you'll be getting emails uh making you aware of what's going on uh during session on my constitutional carry bill and uh any other bills that I may be carrying this year. And uh and 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 that's why I'm running again. You know, I have, like I said, I have uh, four granddaughters, and when they turn 18, I want them to be able to use take a firearm and put in their purse and protect themselves from predators. And uh, we, and for four years, I've been pushing that, and I'm going to continue to push until we push it across the finish line.
1: And you, like I said, you have a good chance to do that this year, and we we hope that happens. Uh, say that, uh, say that website one more time, uh, Representative McCormick.
2: It's McCormick, the number four, LA.com, McCormick, number four, LA.com.
1: All right, sounds good. Everybody, go check that website out. That's going to be good. Representative McCormick, if you ever need to uh, uh, get to your constituents or want to let somebody know something, give me a call. We're going to have you back on. It was real nice having you on today, and uh, I hope this is a long and prosperous friendship between both of us. Uh, this mic's always open if you want to come on and uh, hang out with your friendly neighborhood Cajun conservative.
2: I sound great, Isaac. I appreciate you, man, and and give me a call anytime I can help you.
1: No problem. No, that, 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 I'm going to take that up on it. I'm going to take, uh, take your word up on that, my brother.
2: That sounds great. Have a good day, man.
1: You too. That was represented. Uh, Danny McCark. McCark uh, I can't say that word. McCormick. Um, he is the, the Louisiana state rep for District 1 of Louisiana. He's, gonna be, uh, he's pushing them constitutional bills in. And these uh, protect the Second Amendment Act. Let's hope this goes through. Uh, with that being said, we'll be right back after this short break. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Cheers and good on you,
2: boys and girls. My name is Scott Ford, and I have a show on Rumble. It's the Scott Ford Show, all one word. The Scott Ford Show, all one word, and it's on Rumble. I'd be very happy if you went ahead and subscribe, like Isaac. I'm a true American loving patriot. Thank you, Isaac. God bless. Enjoy your life.
0: you my peace, When this old world seems to get
1: all right everybody, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Cajun Conservative Show today. As advertised, we're going to have Arthur Joe Glasslin, Glasslin. Am I You're doing great? I'm going doing great. I'm doing great, huh? Mr. Joe, yeah. welcome to the Cajun Conservative Show. Uh, Miss uh, before we go on, please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, tell, say, tell your name right, because I am Cajun, and I do okay. butcher up names that ain't Brudrow and Thibodeau, uh, yeah. <laughs> but go ahead That's and introduce okay. yourself and let let everybody know, uh, I said you're an artist uh, author, to uh, talk about your book for a second.
0: Sure. <clears throat> My name is Joe Glossary, and I'm the author of the book called The Practical MBA, and the um, my background is I've taught. I've worked as a professor for two and a half years. I've run companies most of my life, um, um, so on and so forth. So I've integrated business experience with economics, and I take you everywhere from the basement of Roman currency to the fall of the British pound. I take you to sovereign debt defaults, where I give you many examples of my book of countries that absolutely default under debt, and it's coming soon. Um, I take you through every stock market crash. I take you through the great reset of the um, 20th century in the middle of the century, the Bretton Woods IMF, WTO, um, uh, my position on FDR and uh, the Great Depression. I also then bring you to the doorstep of sound money, goldback money. I take you then, I leave you off on uh, Bitcoin and some of the other technologies available. I bring you to the House of Cards. And then at the end, I pretty well have a term I called the future of tomorrow, a autocracy where large government will live off the avails of the fruition and of industry, of large corporations and the industrious will get punished and the middle class are under massive threat because once you lose your middle class, um, you lose the stability of society because they're the social conscience of a society. Um, they believe in the pillars, rule of law, fair play, reason, and all those other things that we hold in, in esteem. Now I'm exhausted. <laughs>
1: hey, you got a little ways to go, so you better you better get you better get ready to go get some coffee or some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Joe, Joe, you know, you, you, funny how you mentioned the middle class. I'm going to go off topic for a second with that. You know, I, I, in in communist regimes or socialistic countries, there is no middle class there's rich and then there's poor and there's nobody in between. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. A lot of, you hear a lot of these politicians say, Oh, we want to protect the middle class, but it's kind of funny. All. And they also say, look, we want the rich to pay their fair share. But majority of the rich people in this country are sitting in Washington, DC, making policies and trying to lead this country supposedly in the right way. So if you look at uh, regimes, uh, communist regimes and socialistic countries, the politicians are rich. The people are, fo- are poor. And like you said, there's no middle ground to to build that uh, that uh, that pillar of society.
0: That's true. And and I made a comment when I was on the podcast yesterday, um, when the Weimar Republic, meaning the after the First World War Germany, okay, um, they eliminated the middle class and they had massive massive um inflation in the weimar republic the society collapsed economically where you'd need like maybe 500 million german marks to buy a loaf of bread that atmosphere of instability and unemployment and and uh, 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 toxicity of the economy was what led to the advent of someone like hitler who promised jobs? Who promised to rebuild Germany with pride? And unfortunately, he brought back jobs, but uh, the rest is very toxic history. It's very right. scary stuff that he did. So um, that you know, once you eliminate the middle class coming back to America, maybe Canada or Europe, you you eliminate the soul of the country. You eliminate the social conscience. You you know. Uh, the middle class is stable because you know what, maybe I'm middle class, I'm doing okay, I've got a home, it's, it's mostly paid. You know, I got a kid, one's going to be a plumber, the other one's going to go be a teacher. I'm not going to go to a protest and throw mothlof cocktails, right? right. Uh, uh, I, I don't want that kind of stuff there, but they're inflating away the middle class, and uh, that's how they're going to get rid of them. They Like I put in my book, um, they need not apply, they're not part of the equation. And they need not apply. A good example of inflation on the the people who can least afford it, the lower middle class and the working poor, is you can see a store like Dollar Tree. They move their price point from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five. Well, Isaac, that's a twenty-five percent inflation hit right there. And um, that's about it on that issue there. Well, so- uh, but you're right.
1: So let's 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 go on to the economy because that is your strong suit, Joe. You you talk about the economy and you talk about what you know, what the uh, effects of our inflation is going on. And I thought about you the other day uh, when we were d- lining up this with these this bank crisis that is happening. And this is my view of it, a lot of people have kind of told me, oh no, 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 that's not right. And you hear what I mean, you have uh, Janet Ellis, the Secretary of Treasury, say, oh, the banking system's fine. But you've had last June inflation hit 9.1. The la- the latest inflation number is reaching six point four. And, yes. and and if they they started rising interest rates. They started doing all this stuff to try to combat inflation, but it has put these banks in trouble and now we're in a situation where we in a bank crisis. So, you know, in, in your opinion, what, what caused these bank crises? Is it the inflation I just said, in my opinion? Or am I wrong to say that inflation had a big part of the banking crisis?
0: Well, it's a good question, um, but I will start. I'm not going to give you what sparked it, but this has been building up for a while. And I'll keep it as simple as possible. You have bonds on the market. There's nobody around who's, and even in banking, who's ever um, lived in an inflationary environment. You spent $7 trillion extra trillion in the hole um, with the COVID crisis, okay? Um, and uh, you got no results, by the way. Um, so you put $7 trillion there. You printed $5 trillion, and I'm talking about the central bank, and they print it out of thin air. So, you, look, Isaac, you put $12 trillion um, in the economy and you go, oh, my, we have inflation. Then you use the CPI index uh, to measure inflation. And that's not a really an accurate barometer. And it, in my view, it belongs in the fictional section of the library. What's more accurate is perhaps the site called uh, Shadow Statistics, And inflation, depending on who you talk to, is closer to 12 to 14%. You know, you're just fooling people. So then let's go to the bank because there's a reason you have all this liquidity, all this money. So you did um, uh, bail out uh, banks in in, uh, California. And specifically, here's what happened, and I'll keep it simple here. Bonds at best were paying at 1%. And when you turn around, and you buy a bond for 10 years and you're a bank and you buy $50 billion of bonds or $100 billion of bonds, that's fine. Now bonds are paying closer to four and a half, five percent 5% and even a bit more. So what happened is you're stuck with these bonds that, let's say, the 10-year treasury at 1% and the new ones are coming out, let's say, 4.5%. So I'm not going to get into complex bonds. So if you bought a $1,000 bond for your future at 1%, Right now, that $1,000 bond is worth about $880, $900. I'm not a bond trader, but it's no longer worth 1000 face value. Why? Because the new bonds are paying 4%. And if I want to sell my bond to Isaac, I got to sell it as a discount. So let's extrapolate that idea, pull that idea, and turn around and say, okay, that's fine, I get that part. And you're stuck on your books with a bunch of bonds and that are paying less, some of these banks have a theoretical exposure of losing hundreds of billions of dollars on the differential of the bond between the 1% and the 5%. I'm not going to go into the details. Don't, we don't need to concern ourselves with that And at this point. <coughs> so this particular exposure, Isaac, what happened now is the central banks and the treasury, they all, they all stepped in and said, "Oh, how much money do you need to bail that bank out?" Well, um, I need a hundred billion dollars. They are valuing the bonds at one thousand dollars each, not at eight hundred and eighty dollars each. It's a scam, right? That's your first scam.
1: So, so you're, you're, so you're saying this in in, in a nutshell: the government is going to go ahead and pay for the full value of that bond, but that bonds roughly eight hundred dollars value. So when Joe Biden says this ain't going to impact the taxpayers, well, it is because we're paying $200 more for a bond that's worth
0: $800. Right. So what's going to happen is they're bailing out these banks. And when they're ban- bailing out these banks, it, it gets it gets complex. But the, but the soup gets more complex than that. Traditionally, when you go to a bank and you make a $1,000 or $100 deposit, Traditionally, the banks, what they have, what they call a reserve requirement, $10 of that goes into the reserve and they can't lend that money out. So during the, your medical emergency, we'll just call it that, during your medical emergency, they turned around and they wanted to create more liquidity. Remember, they dumped $12 trillion in the economy and they said, you know what, the banks no longer, this is what the Fed say, no longer have to have any hold back reserve. So then they've got zero reserve. In other words, every penny you put in there that's in savings, let's say, or locked up bills, right. that's all lent out. And now they don't have anything left for a rainy day. And I think I explained that as, in a simple way that people you know, get an idea and a grasp of what's going on. And then what they did now is they uh, Janet Yellen last week was being – interviewed by an American senator from Nebraska, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I forgot his name, but he was very articulate. And what happened is he, they bailed out uh, the uh, not, um, they didn't bail out Silvergate, but they bailed out... Um, Signature, wasn't it? What? Signature Bank got bailed out and I believe Silvergate Capital, uh, they were looking at bailing, well, they bailed out Republican, that's for sure. Right. So what I'm getting at is is they were bailing out and i'm just going to wind here for about a minute or so they were bailing out certain chosen banks like an la carte. they're choosing what they want off the menu so let's say there's some really good solid small banks and what's happening is they told everybody at silvergate when they went under your money's guaranteed well a lot of companies have 4 or $5 million sitting in their bank, or very wealthy people have a $1 million left in their, in their bank. So you're telling me you bailed out Silvergate, all the depositors, but you don't want to bail out that bank in Louisiana or Oklahoma. So then, you know, I'm Joe Schmoe. I've got an account in Nebraska. I'm going to pull out my money because I've got over $250,000. The FDIC is not guaranteeing at past $250,000. I got maybe I'm a company. I've got 2 million on the books. I've been in business 20 years. I will take that 2 million and move it to Bank of America or, or JP Morgan or you know Wells Fargo. And what happens is people are, you see, the, the prophecy self-fulfills. They start moving out of these smaller banks into the larger banks. A lot of these smaller banks are in great shape. But, you know, if I start having a bank run, even on a real solid, well-run bank, it could collapse it. So now the conundrum that the uh, the Fed and the Treasury is in is this. They go, which banks do we bail out? Then finally, Janet Yellen said last week, we'll just bail out certain banks. Today and yesterday, she said, we're going to bail out everybody who's passed a quarter million dollars. Because you know, again, to give you a really ugly example, let's say Microsoft had, oh, I don't know, fifteen billion dollars in their bank account and their bank goes under. What would happen if you know I'm coming up with numbers here. Right, right. right. What would happen to Microsoft or Apple or IBM or General Motors or any of these companies? So um that's the flying the ointment. That's that's your problem now. And there's one more problem. I'm just throwing stuff here. I'm just honey. Okay, there's one more problem. The FDIC has approximately $128 billion in backup money to bail out banks, right, or depositors in this case. So if the FDIC has $128 billion, but they're insuring about $9.8 trillion, they don't have enough money, so they're going to get bailed out. And how are they getting bailed out? Well, they're getting bailed out because – they're printing money from thin air. So the question is, in the last week or two, the, the central bank has turned around and printed another $300 billion on top of the $5 trillion. And do you really think by printing more money, you're going to tame inflation? You know what you've got now? you got a banking crisis and you got an inflation crisis. And no matter which way you move, you got another problem. And I'm throwing a lot at you you got an American accumulated deficit of $32 trillion. If interest rates went up to 6%, right, that would be 6% of let's keep it at $30 trillion. That's $1.8 trillion. The U.S. budget's about $4, 4400000000000 4 trillion. That's what you basically have to spend as a federal government. What would happen if 40 50% of your money went towards the interest on your debt? That's the conundrum. The Fed... You know, this is not Paul Volcker in the 1980s where he could jack up interest rates. We didn't have even a trillion dollars of debt. Yep, you're right, right? Europe's worst. I'm not even going to go to Europe. It's it's pathetic. It's not. I don't mean Europeans, but the economic situation. Yep. And and Canada, uh, this is the situation. And there's no easy way out because you want smaller government, right? As you mentioned when we were chatting. Good. You go run on. You you go run. On smaller government, and let me know how many votes you get. No, people don't care about that. They go, I, I, I I want my government um, programs.
1: Yeah, and see, and and going to that, you know, because I want to ask about this. um, When you could you just mention that the they're gonna they're gonna be printing up more money, which is gonna add to more inflation. That is just common sense. But what about okay? We're in a we're in a we're in a circumstance right now in this country where. The Republicans say we're not going to extend the debt limit. But you have a you have the Democrat Party and the president saying, well, we're going to bail out these banks. We're going to pay for this. We're going to pay for that. What if the debt ceiling don't get raised? You see, that's where I'm coming. Could you mention about printing money and these banks are beginning bail? Where are they getting this money from? Like just from thin air? Because what what, and what if what if the what if the Republicans hold their ground, which I hope they do say, look, Uh we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. Where are we going to get to pay this, stuff?
0: Well, exactly. They're they're printing money from thin air. They're lending it to an insolvent treasury, right? So basically, imagine you're you know the ship pulled up. These sailors are being at sea, and they come to the port of call. They've got a bunch of drunken sailors, and you start lending them five thousand dollars each. You're not going to get paid back. It's no. going to go down the. Street. And basically, you have an insolvent treasury. If any business was run like the Treasury, they would not qualify for a Dunkin Donut and a coffee in terms of a line of credit, okay? I, I, I've got to be very frank there at the expense of throwing diplomacy under the bus. So the treasury is bust. When their bonds and debts come due, they borrow more money, right? And um, and and, and you, you know, you can only sell so many bonds domestically or internationally to finance u s. debt, right? Um, and America can't default because if they default, it's not just America. The world financial system would, would come to a grinding halt. It would be something unfathomable, you know, because uh, American dollar is the uh, de facto currency of the world. It's the reserve currency of the world. And um, But, you know, they're running it. at. Eventually it's – let me give you another analogy. I thought about it today before I came on your program, and I said – I played monopoly as a kid you get 1500 bucks each okay so i you want to buy illinois avenue you want to buy vermont if you're lucky you buy park place or some of the other nice properties that's fine but what happens if i start you off with three thousand dollars each you will start buying properties off each other those property prices will go up that's all happened. It, it, you know, you don't need a PhD in economics. It's basically the it's called the Cantillion effect, and I had to study it a couple thousand years ago when I was in school. When when more money chases the same amount of goods, you get inflation. And um, what you're doing is you're getting band aids and band aids and band aids, and you know, no matter who's in government, you try and get these people away from government addiction, good luck. It's tough. And I'm not talking just America, Europe. uh, We could talk about um, uh, uh, Canada, of course, right? Um, You know, we we have a different system here. Some of it's good, some of it's not as good. So if I came up to Canadians and I said, listen, I'm gonna reduce your, in Canada we pay about 53% of our money towards taxes if you're making a $65,000 salary. I'm not saying income tax. You have what we call HST, which is like value-added tax. Okay, so everything I buy, almost everything, I pay 13% on. Part for the state, meaning the province, and the other part, um, I think I pay 7% or so, 5% to the federal government. So when you're paying 12, 13%, in the beginning when they introduced this, they go, oh, it's not on food. But I went and bought uh, fruits that are cut up because we had some friends over, and they're charging me tax on a nice platter of fruit, you know, for $13 plus tax. But people get, you see, you got young people there. Oh, well, geez, you know, you got to pay because the government said so, right? You got to, they, pardon me, uh, too often these folks in government want power without accomplishment. And that's what you see. I'm not knocking everybody in government. There's some very able and decent people who actually want to help. But, you know, you're you're dealing in a cabalocracy. It's a kleptocracy, which means basically they're just there to parasitically live off the avails of anybody who can produce labor. You know, I'm, I, I was brought up where, you know, you got to work hard, yep. make something out of yourself and all that. Well, how can you tell kids like that? How can you tell kids that today? They grew up and they go, no, well, you know, the government's stealing. Why can't I
1: steal? Well, even go to a point, it's a give me, give me generation. It's, a, it's, it's I call it a microwave generation where everything got to be instant. And look, let's, let's even go to a point where the government is fighting this now with school bailouts, uh, pay everybody's debt. Well, look, I didn't go to college and, you know, I don't, I, I never I planned on going. But the thing of it is, you know, I got to pay for somebody else's college. Why? I didn't go. And if I would have went, I would have got a job and paid for that because that's something I want to do. But this generation, and you're talking about workers and stuff. There was a a young man, and this came from Scott Ford. Give a shout out to my buddy Scott. He sent me a picture of a guy crying in a Starbucks and saying they need unions because they put him on an eight-hour workday. Well, wow. that that that's that's the generation where they want everything, but they don't want to work for it. And that's one of the reasons we're in the mess. That's why we have a $31 trillion, 32 thirty two trillion dollar debt is because the government said, hey, you don't want to work. That's fine. We give you everything. And now we're at a point where we're having crisis after crisis. And, and, and it scaring yeah. me as an American that we that our banks are closing, that that we're, we're facing these financial difficulties. And while before, while, uh, while prepping for the show, Joe, we talked about. Uh, I told you what I felt, and I mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago. I feel like the 1920s. It's like history reliving itself because before the Great Depression and Wall Street went down, banks started closing, and and that that's, that's a, true. And I'm not trying to put fear into people, but that's just the reality we're we're set with right now.
0: Yes. If, if, if you know these issues about the economy goes into a recession, we need fiscal policy. We need fiscal stimulus. You, you heard these words: let the poor corporations fail, let the distortions come out of the economy. Um, all the imbalances need to come out. It needs to rinse itself, like when you get over a cold. Right? You don't just take a, a, a something to hold back your cold. You got a cold. Let it rinse out. When you get over your cold, you feel great. And I would say, and it's in my book too, The Practical MBA in Economics, I would say the last natural recovery that America had, according to any economic history that I'm aware of, was in the 1920s, in the early 1920s, 2021, America went into a depression. I'm not talking 1930, 29. And that was under President Harding. And... um, what he did, and remember, this was a, a big wallop. It was the troops came home, so you had unemployment. You had the Spanish flu, which was a lot worse in relative and real terms than what we went through recently. And I'm not going to go further on that. And uh, it went into a depression. And at the, I think at the particular, I think at the uh, convention he spoke, and he says, "I will not expose the taxpayer." And have them bail out unsound firms. So he let it all play out, let it rinse out. Within a year and a half or two, unemployment went from close to 18 percent back down to six percent, seven. Then it started dropping. The economy started flourishing again. But you know, you spend too much money, you print too much money, you're speculating. You're speculating on Wall Street, so on and so forth. Stocks, what have you. And then the the big bus comes. And all I have to say is the banks were not ready for the fact that interest rates went up from one to 5%, put it in street terms. You know, they got to get over the fact that, didn't you know that happy hour is going to be over eventually (laughs) and you got to go ahead home, right? You got, you got a wife and family, you got to go home happy hours over. Right. And, uh, Uh, They didn't get over that. And then there's people, here's what's going to happen. And I'm going to get it off my chest here now that I'm ranting. They're going to turn around and saying, you know, we need government to solve the economic problems. Well, Government caused them. You know, depending on government to solve the economic problems is like hiring the carjacker to run your valet service for parking. (laughs)
1: That's that's, that's a good analogy. A good analogy.
0: Yeah, that's what it's like, you know. So, um
1: yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it. It is sad to say. Hey, look, our founding fathers, yes, never, ever designed our government to be big. It was always supposed to be small. It was always supposed to just be a, a advocate for people that that needed help. But yes. unfortunately, we've we've come to a point where government has grown to where, like you said, people are just so used to a big government now. They don't know what they would do if it would get out. If it would. If big government would ever seeks to exist.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and yeah, that's the only, if you, if you're born today, you're 25, 30, even if you're older than that, pardon me. Um, it makes no difference. Uh, you're, that's the life you're used to. And and you know, when I grew up, I, like, I believed in government. When I came out of high school, I believed in it was good. And that um, I believe that, you know, you know, if you were very wealthy and I wasn't, we both went to court, I would be treated as good as you. I, I, I believe that I would be be treated fairly. But right now, I, I I just don't see from our economic institution, from our governmental institutions, how do you turn around and tell somebody young, believe in our institutions, they're, they're, they're there to help. How can you? They, they can't stop lying. Like I told when I went on another program, you know, if, if, if the media and government if they stop lying the room would be silent
1: you know? <laughs> you're right on that
0: they can't stop it and and i think in my book i said you know with this compulsive lying disorder i think most people in government and the taxpayer should pay for it is they should get a group rate on their compulsive lying disorder you know and um, uh, i don't know what to tell you, you they, know? They, they pay uh,
1: for they pay for every other study. They should pay for that one as well. You know, they, they making money out the way.
0: Yeah. Give them a therapy session. They can all, you can like, it's not a bad idea. Line up about 15, 25,000 couches and just sit there and, and, you know, strap them down for a while and, you know, have a nice chat with them and then unstrap them, see if they get a little bit better. But and, what, anyways, what, I
1: mean, what would be joe, sad though joe what would be sad joe is the psychiatrist that's doing that probably would retire at the end and wouldn't want to talk to nobody go to a psych ward himself
0: yeah yeah exactly so <laughs> exactly, joe exactly, so so, so
1: joe we're running uh we're about to uh we're about to end this segment i want okay. uh you to go ahead and give a shout out to your book where people can find your book and uh if they have any questions for you or if they want to reach out to you uh give them some contact information
0: sure no thank you very much uh my book is called the practical MBA on economics i'm currently writing a second one called called the gorilla guide for entrepreneurs and i'm kind of getting lazy on that one i've described the book before it is um to put it succinctly in a very summarized way it's it's um essential gear for the coming and current economic tsunami it predicted the house of cards and all this stuff falling apart The book is available on Amazon. Um, I'm very easy to get in touch with LinkedIn. I've got, and I'm also very easy to get in touch on my website. It's called practicalmba.ca. Again, practicalmba.ca. And uh, so those are probably the best ways to uh, get in touch with me. You know, I'll, I'll answer questions. Uh, If you get me on LinkedIn, I'll answer questions. I publish articles on LinkedIn, and one was on the particular banking crisis.
1: Joe, thank you for coming on, man. We had a blast, and I hope you come on again
0: soon. Thanks a lot. All the best to you, and good luck to you. And uh, thanks for having me on your program.
1: No, pr- no problem that was joe Grosselin. i hope i said it right yeah,
0: yeah did it great. They, good
1: they, enough. you did it great good enough you did it got there we go joe got yeah. uh go ahead and check out his book go ahead and check out uh linkedin his linkedin uh information that he just brought to us um with that being said that's going to go ahead and end this program for this week a lot of interviews in this episode but guess what A lot of good information from Danny McCormick and from Joe. Uh, Take that information and go ahead and educate yourself with it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Until next time, be blessed, be encouraged. Remember, Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming back soon. So don't be faint of heart, because Jesus has overcome the world. If you want to know Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, reach out to me. I'll tell you how to make Jesus your, your Savior and heaven your home. So until next time, be blessed, be encouraged, you have a good one.
2: And he is the open